Hey Odyssey team, this is your language arts podcast during the school closure. It's a way you can access learning if you don't have internet at home or if you'd prefer audio lessons. Your assignments will still be on Google Classroom or sent to you via mail or email to your parents, depending on what you chose. And you can always contact me on Remind, by email, or by calling the school. But this is just another way for you to access your learning. So I'm sorry I haven't recorded an episode in a little bit, but we've been very, very busy at the beginning of each week. This episode, I really want to focus on Socratic seminar. We had an amazing Socratic seminar using Zoom on Monday, April 13th. And we talked about chapters 17 through 22, which were last week's reading. So I want to first talk to you about how we conduct a Socratic seminar, because it was our very first one, and then give you the notes of what we discussed. So here's the thing. A Socratic seminar is a really great way for us to discuss books and for you guys to run your own discussion. It's really another one of those steps towards being super independent and being a really good discussing person or debating person. Preparation requirements for the Socratic seminar are that you bring your book in your double entry journal, part of why we keep one, and that you make sure that you did the reading. It will always be the chapters for the previous week. The guidelines are that this is your discussion. Uh, Your teachers will pretty much just be there to watch, take notes, kind of keep an eye out on how things are going. You will do a few things in a Socratic seminar that are a little different from class. For starters, you're not going to raise your hand. When you have something to say, you would just say it like we do in conversations with our friends. We don't interrupt each other, though, and that's kind of hard to do. And sometimes you can accidentally um, talk over somebody. And when that happens, if two people start talking at once, one of them has to kind of step back and trust that they will be able to talk later. One of the things we do when we use Zoom for Socratic seminars that really helps you avoid interrupting when your mouth is ready to explode with your ideas is that if you have an idea that relates to what we're talking about, but you don't you're worried you're going to interrupt, you can write it in the chat to everyone function. We use that chat function for a place to park those ideas, kind of like parking lot, but more related to the topic and not as a place to socialize. And so it works really, really well. And everyone did a great job at that on Monday. Um, We require you to stay on topic. We want you to respond to each other before you share your idea. And that could say something like, I really liked this idea but I think blah, 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 or my idea builds on your idea, or oh, I agree, or oh, I disagree, and then you add your idea. The idea is that it's kind of a flowing conversation, and those extra pieces at the beginning of what you say help the person who spoke before you feel heard and give you time to kind of shape your thoughts. Um, We need you to refer to the book for support. People can disagree constantly in this, as long as they have evidence to support their disagreement. And finally, you have the right to not talk at all. If you were unprepared for the conversation or if you are uncomfortable, you're still playing a role as long as you're there and you're paying attention and you're listening. So don't be afraid to come to our Socratic seminars if you're not ready to talk out. The whole goal of the Socratic seminar is to gain a deeper understanding of the text by hearing other people's ideas 
and by figuring out ways to shape your ideas to communicate them. So if you're not at a point where you're ready to shape your ideas, you can still learn a lot from these discussions. And your listening to other people share their ideas helps them shape their ideas. So please know that just being there is important too. So if you are quieter or shy, you still play an important role in this. All right. So let me talk to you about our discussion. So what I did was I asked questions and then I just sort of backed off and let everybody talk. And here's what they came up with. So for starters, my first question was, why did Stanley take the blame for the sunflower seeds? And people came up with some really good ideas. Uh, Maybe he wants to earn everyone's respect. Uh, They fell into his hole and he may be why they fell. We're not quite sure. So he sort of had to take the blame. Plus, it would be super rude for him to blame other people. Other people thought, well, he wants to protect the other campers. If they got punished, they might get mad at him. And finally, somebody pointed out that it is Stanley's fate to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. We then talked about what it tells us about Stanley as a person that he took the blame, which was really my sneaky way of asking how this action was an example of direct characterization. People pointed out that he is innocent. And somebody said, well, maybe there's backstory we don't know about. Maybe he's had friends in the past who used him um, so that they could have him take the blame for things. So maybe that's just his normal, comfortable level of how friends work. Um, Somebody said he's sort of like their pet. They use him to do their dirty work. And if you think about it, those other boys at the camp do not respect Stanley. They do not consider him a friend. And they don't treat him as one. So this may be a way for him to kind of earn that. And then once Stanley did take the blame, Mr. Sir said, all by yourself. And the other kids went with it. No one tried to back Stanley. And that tells us a lot about them, but also about Stanley. And then somebody else observed that this is probably the most important event in that chapter. Then we moved on to the scene with the warden, Mr. Sir, and the nail polish, because it was quite a shocking scene. And I wanted to know how people were going to react. So a lot of strong reactions. People were like, Venom for nail polish is a weird punishment. And if you think about it, it is very strange. The nail polish is only dangerous for the time it takes for it to dry. Anytime after that, it's not dangerous at all. So this seemed especially odd and cruel. Somebody pointed out that's more like torture rather than a punishment. And we got into a side conversation on the differences between torture and punishment and landed on the fact that torture is definitely worse than punishment and that this is more like torture. So a question arose out of this, which was, why do you think that the warden punished Mr. Sir and not Stanley? And people had so many really cool ideas. They thought Mr. Sir wasn't sure that Stanley took it, and yet he still came to see the warden. So perhaps the warden was mad that he wasted her time. Um, On page 89, it says that Stanley tells the warden what he did, and her response is, oh, that's why you brought him in here? And that kind of indicates that she does not see that as an adequate reason. Um, somebody else pointed out that this reinforces the fact that the warden's goal is not improving these boys' lives or um, teaching them responsibility. It's that they are digging. They are basically a labor force digging. And she was probably mad that this was time Stanley could have been spending digging for the things she's looking for. Another person observed that she makes this comment, I liked it better when you smoked. So maybe... He isn't doing his job as well now. Maybe he's not bringing as forcing the boys to work as hard now that he's not smoking. And so she would prefer 
that um, he do something that will eventually kill him earlier than that he make her life more difficult. And then another person pointed out that maybe she just doesn't like him. And then we go into describing the warden and we got into a really extensive conversation about her as a character. Um, she's important. She's definitely your antagonist in this story. Uh, she runs directly counter to Stanley over and over again. So descriptions. Uh, she's kind of like Kate Barlow. Somebody found a connection there um, as far as hurting people. If people make a mistake, the warden hurts them and just like Kate Barlow hurts people when they do things that are wrong. Somebody else pointed out that she seems really old, but then we observe that she's really not that old. And so perhaps it's her mannerisms and the things she does that make her seem old fashioned. So we got into a side discussion about whether it matters. Um, does it count if she's old on the inside or on the outside? And the, the way we landed on it was both. One is more appearance, one is more behavior and character. Then Lizzie noticed that uh, when Kate Barlow was, sorry, when Kissing Kate Barlow was dying while being bit by the yellow spotted lizard, she said that Trout's kids would be digging for a hundred years. So maybe the warden is one of Trout's grandkids or great grandkids. Is the warden a walker? Like Trout Walker's descendant. And we went back and forth on whether or not that was true. Um, and we started talking about how long maybe she was running the camp as one of the ways we can do a clue, uh, her whole life, her whole career. It's definitely clear. She's been looking for the treasure for a really long time, probably a few decades. Somebody else observes that maybe she's been looking since she was a kid. And the evidence for that was look at the holes the campers and her family have been digging. There are hundreds, if not thousands of holes in camp at Camp Green Lake, and not all the holes are the uniform five foot by five foot the campers dig. Most hole, especially the holes near the cabin. We talked about how digging near a cabin wasn't a good idea. People aren't going to bury things near a cabin. Besides, wouldn't she fall in the holes? And that's where some people came up with the idea that, well, it's reasonable that, that someone might bury a treasure near a house. So perhaps that's where you would dig a hole first, say when the warden was younger, before she got the idea of the camp. And then somebody else said, well, maybe those holes existed before the cabin. Maybe it was buried before the cabin existed, and the cabin is where she, the warden is now. Um, the warden's selfish is one of the characteristics. She's not digging for the treasure herself, but when they find the treasure, she will expect to keep it for herself. Um, and then somebody else found text evidence that in chapter 22, it says the warden's in her mid-40s. Um, we continued talking about how Stanley found half a lipstick container. Maybe the warden has the other half. And where would that lipstick be? Is that a clue? Is it near the container? Is the other half of the golden tube Stanley found, page 99 in chapter 22, that's when Stanley realizes the golden tube's half a lipstick. Other observations of the warden is that she's very strict. She likes to be the boss. She's always been the boss. She doesn't like when other people boss her around. And then somebody was wondering if maybe the warden was Kate Barlow, but we decided that since Kate Warlow, Barlow died a long time ago, uh, it's probably not her. So we kind of exhausted that characterization aspect of the warden, and we started talking about Stanley and Zero. We know that the other campers don't like Zero very much. We're not sure why. And we had a long conversation about that. Um, when Stanley first got to Camp Green Lake, he wanted to get on the other campers' good side. And so he absorbed the way they thought about Zero and was mean to him and didn't think he counted. 
When he stopped caring about what the other campers thought, that's when he started to be himself again. He felt bad. He wanted to help Zero. Someone who observed that even the counselors don't like Zero. In chapter 18 or 19, it said that Mr. Pendanski called Zero stupid. And the reason that they call him Zero is because nothing's going on in his brain. But we know that Zero is really good at math. And we were wondering, do you think anybody else understands that Zero is good at math? And everybody agreed that no. And somebody pointed out that they don't care enough to care if he knows how to do math or not. And that's a little different than just not knowing, right? Because you don't even have an interest in finding out. Uh, we talked about how the other campers have been there before they were teenagers, and we should look at the number of holes and consider it based on the number of campers. There are many holes and few campers. That tells us they've been there a while. Um, so we figured they dig one hole per day. They've all been there for at least a year. So that's over 365 holes per kid per year. We figured out there are six group of campers and one tet per group. So what you want to do is multiply about how many kids are in each group by six to estimate how many campers there are and how many holes. So we diverged into math for a little bit and realized it was a lot of holes. Um, we don't know the exact number of campers in each tent, but it seems like they keep the tents as full as possible because as soon as Barfag left, Stanley came in. And then the final observation on Zero, though, was just that nobody seems to pay any attention to him at all. And we've talked a little bit about whether he chooses to keep it that way by not drawing attention to himself or whether that's just part of his nature. So that was our... Um, Sorry, Socratic seminar. It went very well. Uh, we had uh, 16 people total attend, and it was exactly the perfect amount. We had some great ideas, and everybody did a great job following the rules for the Socratic seminar. So that is it. Uh, next week, we are going to do the exact same thing on Monday. If you're able to come, that would be amazing. We're going to be really looking at themes and breaking them down. We have some pretty tough conversations to have next week about themes like justice and racism and friendship and identity. Uh, we're going to be doing chapters 22 through 34 um, next week on Monday. And that is everything. Okay, Odyssey team learners, that is all for Wednesday, April 15th. Please remember you or your parents are welcome to contact me, Ms. Hunter, Ms. Fillers, anytime if you have questions or if there's anything we can do to help you with learning material during the school closure or really anything else. Um, we're in constant contact with Ms. Walters, Mr. Fogel, Mr. Carlson, and Ms. Murphy, Ms. Rhonda, all those people. So if you have anything, that you have concerns about, we're here. Take care, you guys. Enjoy the sunshine, and I will talk to you again soon.